Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, Congratulations goes to the United States military and to the commander-in-chief in taking out al-Baghdadi. Is that so hard to say? Apparently it is for the media. Apparently it is for the media, because the media hates Trump. And the media hate America, too, quite frankly. There's no question about it. They, they would rather have seen the military and Trump fail and have headlines about failure than have to talk about how our military was so incredibly successful and how our commander-in-chief was very decisive. I want to remind you of a few stories not that long ago. I want to remind you of a piece that was at, uh, by, written by Brett Volodrovich at Fox News some years ago. This is very, very important to understand. The U.S. military had the leader of ISIS in its crosshairs years before he became the most wanted terrorist in the world. But the bureaucratic suits in Washington let him get away. This is under Obama. In 2011, a secretive U.S. Special Operations Task Force was orbiting a drone above a house in Baghdad, Iraq, where they had new intelligence that the notorious terrorist leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi had bunkered down for a meeting with his top ISIS lieutenants. A call went out from our headquarters. This is an excerpt from a book. A call went out from our headquarters and then back to higher-ups in the States. We've got him. Can we take him out? And the book is called, by the way, Drone Warrior. Our secretive targeting units had been hunting al-Baghdadi for years before he was known to the public, pushing him deeper and deeper into the shadows. Our weapon was mainly Predator MQ-1 drones equipped with two laser-guided AGM 114P Hellfire missiles. And a separate team of special operators able to finish off targets we had acquired from the ground. Though my deployment through it, our team conducted dozens of raids specifically aimed to uncover him. Mostly I was chasing leads to his whereabouts, tracking his family or capturing people in his inner circle. Attempts at tightening the noose around his neck. I knew just about everything one could know about him, places he visited, what he ate, who he met, the businesses in Iraq he laundered money through, and so forth. I knew more about him than his own family. I just needed the missing puzzle piece of his precise location. But every day we hunted, and with each new piece of intelligence we gathered on him, I inch closer to his demise. 
One point, the special ops soldiers within our task force were inside one of al-Baghdadi's safe houses only 30 minutes after he arrived, capturing an ISIS courier in the process that al-Baghdadi had dropped off a secret letter to only minutes before. We would later use that very letter and courier to take us to the original leaders of the Islamic State, killing them days later, subsequently allowing al-Baghdadi to fill the leadership gap and quickly rise to the top of the ISIS food chain. Now in December 2011, the intel lead of the drone unit watched on the screens as a man exhibiting the exact signature and description we always had for Baghdadi, arrive in a vehicle to a small concrete house in downtown Baghdad and then proceed inside. When they zoomed in on him, there was no doubt it was the leader we had been hunting. Walking into the courtyard of the house, heavy set and balding, other terrorists inside the compound lining up to hug the leader as he walked inside. This was the Baghdadi I knew. Years before, our teams would have taken action without asking for a green light from Washington. A drone strike or team of special operators kicking down the door the very same night. But the State Department had changed the rules for raids, as U.S. troops were told they could no longer remain in country. And the planned raid on al-Baghdadi was delayed. The team was now operating under different legal authorities of law under the Obama administration than the year before. The war in Iraq in 2011 had officially come to a close. Before any raid or drone strike could happen, multiple levels of suits from Washington had to sign off. Days passed by, often weeks, before a strike could be put into action. Lawyers were now running the last legs of the war from behind air-conditioned desks in Washington, while we were hunting down the last remaining leaders from inside the war zones. ISIS had virtually gone extinct, but the few of us doing this work day in and day out knew what was to come. At the time, few outside our close-knit intelligence circles knew much about Baghdadi, but I knew he was one of the most dangerous terrorists in the world. The U.S. eventually put a price on his head, a bounty of $10 million. For a long time, he had been a ghost, like a lot of guys we hunted. He was surely better at hiding than any other man on our list. His operations security, OPSEC, OPSEC, was the best in the business. He was paranoid that we were getting close. He would be somewhere and then disappear without a trace, like a weather pattern. He knew one little slip-up and we had him. Members of Inner Inner Circle were disappearing as a result of our operations. He was seeing his closest friends and family members being captured or killed by our team's work daily. No doubt our elite special operations task force made him the security-obsessive psychopath he is today. Paranoid of my team was what kept him alive. Few even know the story of how he was missed. It certainly was never made public for obvious reasons. No one wanted to talk about it anywhere in the government or the military. The world's most wanted terrorist could have very well met his maker that very night before he truly took the reins of ISIS years later. How do you like that? By 2011, the assault team had gone home. In their place, they had to rely on local hit squad to kick down doors and so forth. But the biggest problem that night was the layers of authority that had been added to our world like a badly constructed building. 
The drone team traditionally fell under the Department of Defense, but now that the war had moved on, the Special Ops Task Force had to get any hits cleared by both intelligence agencies and the Department of State. This was how things had changed in 2011, for the worse. So as the drone team looked down at the house through an infrared camera, the request to raid passed from one empty suit to another. From Iraq to Washington. Calls were made to bosses multiple times, pressing them to make a move, knowing that Baghdadi was in the house at that very moment. It was two weeks before they finally approved the mission. But by that time, it didn't matter when the Iraqis finally stormed the house. The al-Baghdadi I knew doesn't stay anywhere for two weeks. Who did we get that night? They grabbed up a gang of Islamic State members. And guess what those fighters confirmed? Baghdadi had in fact been there 100% only days before. Guys from our team talked about it for months after. How could the suits screw up like that? After that night in 2011, Baghdadi disappeared into Syria for months and then years again. When he came back, he was leading the charge across a broken Iraq, and ISIS was the new Al-Qaeda version 2.0. He'd established an Islamic terror state, and the United States is still trying to track him down to this day. We were so close, man, I can't believe we missed him out of all the people we went after, one of the guys within our task force said to me over drinks one night. It's a new kind of war, he lamented. The rules have changed. Our hands had gotten more and more tied by the damn suits. Excerpt from the book, Drone Warrior, an elite soldier's inside account of the hunt for America's most dangerous enemies, 2017. The media is not mentioning any of that. As they try to ridicule Trump, ridicule him. For giving the go-ahead to our military to take him out. And then they ask immediately... Did he tell Pelosi? Is Pelosi part of the administration? No, but Mark, there's a gang of eight. The gang of eight and Pelosi aren't notified every single time a military action is taken. But it's more important to keep our soldiers safe and to accomplish the mission. Nancy Pelosi has a very big idea of what the speaker is, but her idea is much bigger than the reality. Here's another piece I want to read to you from Catherine Herridge back in Fox News in 2017. Aspen, Colorado, ISIS in Iraq and Syria has been dismantled with tens of thousands of jihadist fighters dead, but a promising lead on its leader went dead after a media leak, according to a key U.S. military official. We've absolutely dismantled his network, General Tony Thomas, speaking of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, said at the Aspen Security Forum. I mean, everyone who worked for him initially is dead or gone. Everybody who stepped to the plate the next time is dead or gone. Down through a network where we have killed, in a conservative estimate, 60 to 70 thousands of his followers, his army. And he leads the Special Operations Command. He said his team was particularly close to Baghdadi after the 2015 raid. So that's twice now. They killed ISIS oil minister Abu Sayyaf. That raid also netted his wife, who provided a wealth of actionable information. 
That was a good lead. Unfortunately, it was leaked in a prominent national newspaper about a week later, and the lead went dead, said General Thomas. The challenge we have is in terms of where and how our tactics and procedures are discussed openly. There's a great need to inform the American public about what we're up to. There's also a great need to recognize things that will absolutely undercut our ability to do our job. Thomas appeared to be referring to a New York Times report in June 2015 that detailed how American intelligence agencies had extracted valuable information. New insights yielded by the, uh, yielded by the seized trove, four to seven terabytes of data, according to one official, include how the organization's shadowy leader, al-Baghdadi, operates and tries to avoid being tracked by coalition forces, reported the New York Times. And Thomas believes that leak into their opportunity in 2015 to kill Baghdadi. Once the Obama administration's bureaucracy and the other, the Democrat Party media. So what did the commander-in-chief do? Donald Trump? He has a good sixth sense, a good gut when it comes to these things. He ordered the military to get him. He didn't tell Pelosi because he didn't want it to leak to the New York Times or anybody else. No, we don't trust Pelosi or the Democrats. They leak all the time. Nor do we trust the media. The media don't care about America. The media care about the Democrat Party and themselves. The president did exactly the right thing. I'll be right back. in. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right, you can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Now, we'll get to this impeachment stuff later. People are saying, you know, there really is no quid pro quo, Mark, because the president can set foreign policy and uh, he can require Ukraine to assist with an investigation that's going on. Have I not been saying this for two months, Mr. Producer? I mean, come on. Even if all this occurred... It's not impeachable. I disagree with some say it might be a bad idea as a matter of policy. No, it's not a bad idea. It's a great idea. We need Ukraine's help. Anyway, back to this. Jake Tapper, who is the handmaiden of uh, Jeff Motherzucker, probably was whispering in his ear during this as well. 
He was on CNN yesterday, and in the middle of the president speaking, he cuts him off. Cut five, go. Do you anticipate um, inviting the special forces teams to the White House? Oh, yeah, they'll be invited. I don't know if they'll want to have their faces shown, to be honest with you. You know, they want to... They're incredible for the country. They're not looking for public. All right. As the uh, press conference uh, and announcement uh, turns into uh, lesser matters about who will be invited to the White House to to thank them, let's talk. Yes, yes. You are turning to lesser matters. Now, let's turn to really big matters like Jake Tapper's opinion and the opinion of his cherry picked guests, contributors, all of whom had to be approved by, I'm sure, Jeff Motherzucker. More on. Jake the fake tapper, tap out, cut six, go. The OBL raid, uh, that was announced, I think, on a Sunday night after 11. I remember I was, uh, I got the, I was a White House correspondent at the time. I got the alert maybe around 9.30 on a Sunday night, and we all had to run in. Uh, and he gave us the news basically as soon as he could give us the news, gave the country the news. Uh, this information happened, this happened last night, uh, and there's really no reason to announce it at 9 a.m. and to delay the announcement. We're now almost 20 minutes into the 9 a.m. hour, and we were told this was going to start at 9 a.m., unless, of course, the president is trying to have a big build-up. There's the showmanship that we know he appreciates. Um, This is... You know, this this is really... Leave it right there. This is really outrageous. I remember that announcement that Biden had, too. Total showmanship. Excuse me, Obama. Obama kept talking about I, me, me, me. You remember that, folks? Remember that? It's interesting he refers to not, and not the article that I just spoke to. comes out of the book about how they had Baghdadi in their sights in 2011, and the Obama administration didn't pull the trigger. Until two weeks later, when it was too late, for crying out loud. But it's always about trashing Trump. So he had it the next morning, relatively early. 20 minutes he's waiting, you see, to create drama. Didn't need to create drama. It was dramatic. Go ahead. Given the fact that so much of what the Sunday shows are, 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 here he comes, here's President Trump. Uh, Oh, here he comes, here's President Trump. Gee, here I was just trashing him and we had to wait 20 whole minutes. We never had to do that with Obama. We always had to do that with Obama. But why why does it matter? This is a time to celebrate. Why are they so dour? Why are they so down in the, in the mouth, these, uh, these leftists on TV? Something wonderful just happened. We killed one of the biggest terrorists on the face of the earth who has slaughtered thousands and thousands of people, horrifically tortured and raped an American young lady and decapitated Americans, including a journalist. Why, why are they so dour and upset? Why are they trashing Trump? They can't thank him and thank the United States military. They can't even put on a fake smile. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. 
I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. He's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877-381-3811. America is thrilled that this subhuman cockroach is, is, is dead. Thrilled. Thrilled. When you were watching the media yesterday and today, did they seem thrilled? Were they celebrating? Did they say three cheers to America? No. No, they didn't. Jake Tapper was very dour, very depressed, very bleak, trashing the President of the United States, because I'm sure at their 9 a.m. call, they were told by Jeff Motherzucker, the CEO over there at the Constipated News Network, I'm sure they were told Attack Trump. Don't celebrate this. It's no big deal. Because they have ice water in their veins. They have no compassion. They like to talk about the military, but they can't stand the military. They can't stand law enforcement. Chris Jansing, host of MSNBC. She used to be a reporter over at NBC, so I guess they demoted her. She couldn't stand it either. Cut seven, go. The raid that killed al-Baghdadi is both a military and political victory for the Trump administration. But some officials point out that it may say as much about the flaws in Trump's foreign policy as it does about how well it can work. The flaws in Trump's foreign policy has nothing to do with the flaws in Trump's foreign policy. It's a great victory. It's a great success. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, some officials point out, well, who are they? I don't know. Do you know? No, we don't know. But some officials pointed out. And those some officials happen to be wrong some officials. Because the president handled this brilliantly. Obviously, the subhuman cockroach is dead tonight. Dead. Unlike under Obama, they gave him eight more years to slaughter and create mayhem and so forth. Last time I checked, Biden was Obama's vice president. Another idiot. Go ahead. For ISIS, is this a devastating blow to their operations or is someone waiting in the wings to take over and it'll be... Nobody says this is the end of ISIS or we shouldn't be, uh, you know, resolute about ISIS and Al-Qaeda and so forth. That has nothing to do with it. Nothing. And this is really precious coming from the media that gave Obama pass after pass after pass. 
when ISIS was growing like a cancer while he was president of the United States, and he did virtually nothing about it. Nothing. Go ahead. If uh, maybe it was no more than a hiccup. The New York Times reports that... A hiccup? No more than a hiccup? Are you an idiot? Yes, you are an idiot. And look how sad and upset she sounds. And the New York Times... Oh, the New York Times, I can't wait to hear what they have to say. Go ahead. Commanders rushed the timing while U.S. forces were still on the ground. So do you agree with intelligence? Uh, They traveled, uh, many of them, by helicopter. Also, the Kurds were of uh, enormous assistance to us. I love the Kurds. I really do. These are wonderful, wonderful people. Wonderful people. But the New York Times reports, ladies and gentlemen, that we had a rush. We had a rush because, you know, forces were being removed. Now... In the president's defense, all forces aren't being removed from Syria. He's not Rand Paul, after all. All forces aren't being removed from Syria, and the president has said that. He moved forces out of that northern area, which, as you know, I disagree with, but he moved them out of the northern area. He didn't move them completely out of Syria. So what are these some officials even talking about? But it doesn't matter, you see, because maybe it's no more than a hiccup. A hiccup. Imagine having a media like this during World War II. Seriously. Or even the Revolutionary War. When we had a patriot press. That's what I call it in my book, and that's what others have called it, an unfreedom of the press. A patriot press. Who cheered on independence. Who cheered on the founders. Who cheered on the militia and the, and the standing army. Here, they're shooting spitballs. Is there anything more unpatriotic than our media? No. Go ahead. Some officials who are cited by the Times as saying this raid occurred largely in spite of President Trump's actions, not because of them. Well, there you go, folks. Not only did the president have nothing to do with it, it happened in spite of him. In spite of the commander-in-chief. Obama didn't take this kind of BS from the media when, in fact, he refused to pull the trigger to kill this guy. This would be the same New York Times to whom somebody leaked crucial information in 2015, resulting in al-Baghdadi leaving the area in which they spotted him. That New York Times... But we have to rely on the New York Times, ladies and gentlemen. Now, over there at the Washington Compost, we also are supposed to rely on them, you know. You've heard about this headline. They changed the headline three times. The original headline over at the Washington Compost was Abdu Bakar al-Baghdadi, Islamic State's terrorist-in-chief, dies at 48. That was kind of sick. What, he died pneumonia? Mr. Producer, what did, he, what did he die from? He just died. What, what did he have? Did he have some, uh, some, some disease? And so uh, they came up with another headline shortly thereafter. So uh, let's see here. I'm trying to find it. Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi. Baghdadi. Austere religious scholar. At helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. 
austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State dies at 48. The New York Times deserves and the Washington Post deserves all the contempt that the people can muster. That the people can muster. As pointed out in the Daily Wire, when Osama bin Laden was killed, the headline was, Osama bin Laden killed, leader of terrorist group Al-Qaeda was 54. Big difference, isn't it? So when the leader of ISIS is killed under uh, Commander-in-Chief Donald Trump, the word terrorist is removed. He's an austere religious leader, don't you know? And then it changed a third time. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, extremist leader of Islamic State, dies at 48. Still, nothing about him being a terrorist, nothing about him being killed. He just died. He's, you know, an extremist leader. But the article's really shocking, too. Here's one of the sentences. Acquaintances would remember him as a shy nearsighted youth who liked soccer but preferred to spend his free time at the local mosque. You had to wait till paragraph 34. The 34th paragraph to inform readers that he was a serial rapist of hostage sex slaves. Incredible. Outrageous. Last night was a great night for America. A great night for Americans who love their country. A great night for patriots. And as you can see, the Washington Post cannot be counted among those. Right, Phil Bump? If there were serious journalists working for the New York Times or the Washington Post, they would resign now in protest. But that's not all, ladies and gentlemen. There's more good news. This is from the Washington Examiner. American and Syrian Kurdish forces killed the Islamic State's terrorist group spokesman on Sunday morning, hours after the group's leader was killed by U.S. Special Operation Forces, a Kurdish official said. And his name was Abu Hassan al-Mahajir. He died in an airstrike in Ain al-Bayad, a village in northern Syria controlled by Turkish-backed Syrian rebels while riding in the back of a tanker truck. Videos and pictures reportedly taken at the scene of the attack show corpses and a tanker truck on fire. Still needs to be confirmed, but they're pretty certain it's him. And again, without the Kurds, we may not have spotted him. So I want to thank the United States Armed Forces. I want to thank the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief. I want to denounce the unconscionable media in our country for giving aid and comfort to the enemy. Both the enemy within, the hardcore progressive left, and the enemy without. And this is the kind of treatment, by the way, the United States gets, but it's also the kind of treatment Israel gets. When the Palestinian terrorists, whether it's Hamas firing missiles into their country, or Fatah murdering Israeli citizens for which they get, their families get pensions, 
where Jake Tapper, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post condemn Israel for defending itself and responding. I've long said, and we've long agreed, most of us, that the same people and groups that hate America hate Israel and vice versa. And vice versa. And let us be clear. The Washington Post demonstrated that it hates America and the United States Armed Forces even more than it hates Trump because it should have been celebrating with honest headlines last night. The New York Times, a horrific record on human rights worldwide, a horrific record on freedom of the press, a horrific record on its anti-Semitism. I guess if you're an anti-Semite, you'd say it's a great record. Trashing the President of the United States. And then, of course, MSNBC and CNN. Disgusting. I'll be right back. Liberty and learning. In a healthy democracy, these two things are mutually supportive. In America today, however, that bond is broken. To help repair the breach, Hillsdale College has launched the Van Andel Graduate School of Government in the nation's capital. And unlike other graduate programs, Hillsdale teaches politics as a human activity oriented toward justice. A series of choices guided in the best case by right principles, but made in ever-changing circumstances that require prudence to achieve the best attainable results. Hillsdale's curriculum combines the careful reading of primary sources and serious historical inquiry. Students learn how to apply the principles of free government and advance the cause of constitutionalism in the context of ever-changing circumstances. Hillsdale's new Van Andel School of Government is a program unlike any other in Washington, D.C., Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know, the young lady whose parents have thanked the President of the United States was an aid worker human rights advocate she went over to Syria to help and uh, she was captured in 2015 by ISIS and you can google the horrific reports of what was done to her nobody knows in the end what happened to her she had her fingernails pulled out in her 20s an idealist. Baghdadi raped her. Others abused her. They tortured Kayla Muller. And two years later, she's gone. Nobody knows what happened to her. This is no joke. The way people were slaughtered, burned in cages, alive decapitated, tied like pigs, and roasted open open fires, put in cages and dropped into lakes and rivers where they were drowned to death. They would be uh, cut open alive, 
disemboweled. Any unimaginable evil, truly evil way of hurting people, killing people, uh, was exercised by this this mass murder and his uh, terrorist army. And here we are, Trump should have talked to Pelosi. No, he shouldn't. Even the idiot Susan Rice, Trump should have called Obama. Called Obama for what? Obama's trying to remove him. So is Pelosi. They don't deserve any respect whatsoever as they undermine our Constitution and undermine the 2016 election and seek to undermine the 2020 election. Nothing. And in the case of several of these Americans, the videos were online, I couldn't watch them. They didn't just decapitate them. They sawed their heads off. Right, Mr. Producer? Where they were screaming as they knew exactly what was happening to them. And you know, the science tells us that your brain continues to function for a few seconds later. This is why I hate our media, because they're destroying freedom of the press. They're undermining the First Amendment. They're destroying the core principles, values, morals of this country. These clowns, these fools who managed to get these positions, the Jake Tappers, the Don Lemons, the Cuomos, Allison Camarados. And you go over to MSNBC, up and down the line. It's just horrendous. Horrendous. And I watched Adam Schiff today. He is the best demagogue, meaning one of the worst human beings to ever serve in Congress. The way he can lie with such ease and such poise. He's a very, very dangerous man. All right. Well, the President of the United States... He talked about the killing of al-Baghdadi. Said they've been looking for him a long time, and he's right. Many years, as a matter of fact. He said he's dead, dead as a doornail. And he didn't die bravely either. And he should have been killed years ago. Another president should have gotten him. And you know exactly who he's talking about. And this is what drives the media nuts. The media are Obamaites. They are Pelosiites. They are Shiftites. That's what they are. They are cheerleaders for the left and the people who represent the left. As a matter of fact, they are public advisors, mentors even, to the left and the Democrat Party. All right. Some new news on this impeachment issue, but you're going to want to hear it here first. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Look, let's cut to the chase on Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not mentally fit to be president of the United States, okay? I'll say it. Something's not right. Something's not right. He doesn't have the mental capacity to be president of the United States. And I'm not saying that to be provocative. But we see it in front of our eyes. We hear it every day. People laugh about, there's Joe, another gap. They're not gaps. Or they're gaps, but there's a reason for them. It's not a pattern. It's an overwhelming case. So let's just put that out there now and be, be honest about it. Now, isn't this interesting? House Democrats, this is from The Hill, are setting up a vote this week on their impeachment inquiry as they move closer to a public phase of the investigation. Now, first of all, that sentence doesn't even make sense. The media make no sense. Why are they having a vote on their impeachment inquiry if it's already an impeachment inquiry, Mr. Producer? They haven't had a vote on an impeachment inquiry. So it's not an impeachment inquiry. Representative Jim McGovern, he's a left-wing kook, Massachusetts. The chairman of the House Rules Committee said he will introduce a resolution this week to ensure transparency and provide a clear path forward in the impeachment inquiry. Now, they're going to impeach this president. I'm just telling you now. You are watching a rogue majority in the House of Representatives. This has always been their plan. They just needed to decide on what they would do and how they would do it. how they could win over at least some Americans, and they're not winning over a whole lot, other than their Democrat base. The text of the resolution is yet to be released, but McGovern plans to introduce it tomorrow, ahead of a markup in his committee on Wednesday. So this, of course, will drive the, uh, the media. They'll keep pushing this because that's what they do. This would be the first formal vote on the new impeachment process by the House and Speaker Nancy Pelosi through his support behind an inquiry in September. Now, what's amazing about this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm hearing the news report on it. The network news I just heard said they're going to formalize the impeachment inquiry and that it undercuts Republican criticism. This is how the media reports, as if they're Democrats, because they are. Why is it necessary to formalize an impeachment inquiry? You either have an impeachment inquiry, a formal impeachment inquiry, or you don't. So are they agreeing that this has not been an impeachment inquiry? Well, by implication, they clearly are, but they won't say it. Undercutting Republican criticism. Where was the media criticism? And the fact that the media couldn't get access to these hearings and so forth. So we don't know what the rules will be yet, what the proposed rules will be. We'll see if they are comparable to what took place during the Clinton and Nixon periods. Uh, The Democrats obviously have access to that material. I have access to it. I found it on the Internet. So we'll see how that works out. We don't know. But every Republican should vote against it. Now the media, just listen to me, I know what they're going to do. 
The media are going to say, this is what the Republicans wanted, then they vote against it? No, 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 no. The Republicans wanted a formal vote. They didn't say they were going to vote for an impeachment inquiry. They need to vote against an impeachment inquiry. Because there's nothing impeachable that's occurred here. Nothing whatsoever. Then we'll get to that again later. But there is somewhat of a silver lining here, too. The Democrats proceed. And they will. First, I would point out to the media, the newsrooms, Fox and CNN and MSNBC and other places, I say that with all due respect, of course. Remember when you guys were saying just a few days ago in the media, the Republicans are arguing process because they they can't argue the facts. And I explained on Friday and Thursday how process is everything. Process is everything. In virtually every walk of life, process is everything. And it helps determine what actually are facts and are not facts. So that's, that's the first point. Now all of a sudden the media is pointing out, well, look at this now. The, uh, this undercuts the criticism because now they're formalizing the impeachment inquiry process. So I assume the media will now attack the Democrats for having an impeachment media process, right? Of course they won't. Number two. This has been all one-sided media based on leaks from Schiff and his staff and their surrogates. So if the process does open up, I can't see where they'll get better press. I can't see where they'll get better press. That's just, you know, a general take on it. We'll see. Oh, they'll continue to get one-sided press that supports them no matter what the facts are. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is now we will get access to more information. People like me and you and we'll be able to unravel it. Number three, we must get the identity of the so-called whistleblower. I've said this from day one. I said it on Fox on day one. The left-wing media kook websites run by Seems like a bunch of potheads, if you ask me. But, you know, that's fine. I uh, thought that was quite hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's necessary. We need to know who this person is. The nation needs to know who this person is. The nation needs to know, just as the Justice Department and the U.S. Attorney from Connecticut are looking into 2016 and how all that started, we need to know how all this started. Because it started with Schiff and the Democrats, the so-called whistleblower and the so-called whistleblower's lawyers. That's how it started. And we need to know more about all of that and all of them. Rather than they're spinning in the media and attacking me. We need to know about all of it. Wouldn't it be absolutely shockingly unconscionable? If after all this is done, then suddenly the whistleblower, so-called, comes forward and writes a book, how disgusting would that be? And so I'm hoping that the Republicans, as this process at least theoretically opens up, demands this over and over and over again. Fourth issue. 
We talked about this last week, but I have to underscore these points. How do you unscramble an egg? Or as they say, how do you put toothpaste back into the toothpaste tube? You don't. So in other words, the due process violations that occurred with witnesses that have already appeared, where the president's lawyer hasn't been president, uh, present in order to uh, cross-examine witnesses called by Schiff and his, uh, and his uh, mob. How do you fix that? You don't fix that. And so the process has been poisoned from the beginning. So how do you fix the testimony that's already been given? I don't mean change the testimony, but fix it, because you don't get the whole picture of what, of what took place. And you can't, because the president's lawyer wasn't present. And so the rules also, going forward, will be very, very important. But to me, what this does is it undercuts Pelosi's argument that she could, on her own, or should, on her own, declare a formal impeachment inquiry. And yet, that's what she did. So if that was okay, why is she now circling back to formalize an impeachment inquiry? Now the media won't ask that question. Why is she doing that when she didn't do it in the first place? Because she's a hack and a fraud, that's why. And then finally, the point about a quid pro quo. You know, many of the things I say here over a long period of time somehow wind up in columns or by our friends on Fox or other people who repeat it. And Mr. Producer and I, Mr. Kalsgrunert, we kind of laugh at this, don't we, guys? It's quite remarkable. I've been saying week after week after week after week. If, in fact, the president said, or any of his surrogates said, to the president of Ukraine or any of his surrogates, that we want your help in our formal, ongoing, publicly announced investigation of the 2016 campaign, including Ukraine's interference in our campaign, in our election, we want that investigated or we're going to withhold military funds from you. That's perfectly legitimate. Perfectly legitimate. That is perfectly legitimate. And yet, the military funds were provided to Ukraine, which Obama never provided. And the president of Ukraine says he he wasn't even aware that they were being held back and he never felt pressured. Now that should be the beginning and the end of it. That should be the beginning and end of it. But apparently it's not. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. So now the Democrats say they're going to formalize the impeachment inquiry process. Last week, I was mocking the media for saying, look at this, they're arguing process because they can't argue the facts. Now what will the media say? Nothing. They'll move on. They'll move on. See, the media is never hypocritical. The media never lie. The media never wrong. Period. Ever. Now, meanwhile, Adam Schiff is trashing the U.S. attorney from Connecticut, Durham. I thought that was obstruction of justice, Mr. Producer. Remember that? When the President of the United States was criticizing the special counsel, people said, you know, that could be obstruction right there. He could be uh, sending word there. He could be threatening them. We need to pass a statute to protect the special counsel. Remember all that? Well, now we have Mr. Dorm who's under attack, who's conducting an investigation. Right, folks? He's trying to get to the bottom of what happened in 2016. With our government and Russia. With our government and Ukraine, a.k.a. Obama. And Adam Schiff is trying to interfere with that investigation. Well, maybe Adam Schiff should be considered for obstruction. Of course, that'll never happen. It's called the speech and debate clause. I'm not going to get into it, but they can virtually say whatever they want to say. But I'm pointing this out to you. In fact, again, to underscore what I said last week, so somebody will write a column on it, and everyone, oh, that's brilliant. Listen, this entire effort by the Democrats in the House is intended to interfere with the 2020 campaign. You and I are paying for opposition research, such as it is, by the Democrat Party. You and I are paying for this sham impeachment so they can label the president as impeached by the Democrat Party during the course of the general election. You and I are, being, are going to be paying for this matter going into the Senate. And if McConnell and the Republicans don't handle this properly, it can go on for a month or two months. It's an amazing spectacle. It's a disgusting spectacle. And look at the Senate. The Republicans control the Senate by vote, but we have three reprobates. Mikowski, Collins, and Romney. Then we'll have a chief justice who's supposed to be the judge in the case, appointed by Bush, a Republican who worked in the Reagan administration, and he's gone haywire. Not with the Democrats, boy. Lockstep, baby. Lockstep, every one of them in line. They need a vote, they get a vote. If a few of them need to go haywire, that's fine. But the rest, you're in line. Just like this. We don't need a formal impeachment inquiry. We don't have to have a vote. Then they reverse court. I think we'll have a vote. All the Democrats move with them. All the media move with them. Yes, now it makes sense, you see. 
Not because the Republicans kept mentioning it, and I, of course, raised it early on. No, 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 no. Because now the Democrats are going to do it. So that's a good thing. And now it will undermine the Republicans, you see. Rather than giving kudos to the Republicans, the press will now have access to the witnesses, access to testimony. It'll all be public. The American people will actually witness all this. After all, it is our country, our government, our Congress, our press. Can we get a little thank you? Well, of course not. Now it undermines our criticism. No Republican should vote for this. Again, the trick the media will play is this. You wanted this, now you're voting against it? No, we wanted it, and I was always going to vote against it. That is, we always wanted a formal impeachment inquiry. We always wanted to follow the processes that were followed with the three prior presidents who faced such a situation. Johnson, Nixon, Clinton. But the whole thing's a sham, so of course we're going to vote against it. It's the fact of the vote that we said needed to be taken. It's like having legislation. Nancy Pelosi can't get up to the, to the lectern and say, I declare this the law. No, we want to vote. And then six weeks later, okay, we'll have a vote. All right, I'm going to vote against that legislation. You said you wanted a vote. I wanted a vote. But I didn't say I was going to back the legislation. Same thing. They better get smart, the Republicans in the House, and especially in the Senate, because I don't think they're that smart in the Senate, to be perfectly honest with you. They might be smart, but they're definitely weak. Do you remember when a ton of bricks would come down on Ted Cruz's head early on in his career in the Senate? He doesn't do these things anymore. Where he stood up to his party, and he stood up to Obama, and he... He fought Obamacare, and the government was shut down for 15, 16. You remember all that? Remember all the leaks that came out against him, trashing him? Some on, <coughs> some of these guys were on record. Many of them were not. Remember the Wall Street Journal editorial page? Remember Politico taking leaks from the likes of McConnell and other, Just trashing the hell out of Cruz. Again, he doesn't do things like that anymore, but he used to. How come they don't do that for Romney? Why not Romney? Undermining his own president, undermining the re-election chances of many Republicans in the Senate, undermining the impeachment clause in our constitutional system, playing footsie with the left-wing media that keep writing him up in beautiful terms. Oh, that Romney, he's, he's quite a guy. Where are all the trashing leaks on him? There aren't any. Have you noticed? Again, it only goes one way, to the left. All right, folks, a lot more. We'll be right back. Where Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. All right. Now, this won't be a shock. But there's more bad news coming from Washington. Nancy Pelosi, while her plan to socialize medicine is making its way to the House floor for a vote, ladies and gentlemen, where it may well pass, likely to pass, in fact. But thankfully, we have a Republican Senate and a president who will see this show for what it is. I hope so. 
especially in the Senate. As I've been telling you, Pelosi's plan is so extreme it'll make European socialists blush. Her plan includes government price controls on drugs, punitive taxes, and government override of treatment decisions that should be made by patients and their doctors. See, Pelosi thinks she's queen of the world. She should run every business. That the only legitimate president is a president from her party. She's really a crackpot. She's fascistic. Once I said that, wasn't it 19 times they counted over there at Mediate, Mr. Producer? They were very upset over there. All the left-wing goons over there. Well, her plan includes what I said. All these controls, government-centric decision-making, bureaucrats, people you don't know and who don't know you or your family. All this means less access, rationing, lower quality care, and lower survival rates for diseases like cancer. Her own Congressional Budget Office said her plan would result in a dramatic reduction in research and development into new breakthrough treatments. This is very serious stuff. Republicans better get to work exposing the Pelosi plan for her extremism before it's too late. Because the Pelosi plan to socialize medicine will be a disaster for seniors and anyone who relies on access to life-saving medications or, or will, and that's most of us. So please, now is the time to get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com. Please take a look and get the facts and get the information. All right, let's take a couple of calls here. Let us go to Corey, Jensen Beach, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, Mark. How are you doing this evening? Well, thank you, sir. Hey, just wanted to comment. You already kind of stole my thunder, but um, the Washington Compost uh, austere religious scholar headline should have been more like Islamist terrorist or fanatical Muslim religious zealot. And it's beyond reprehensible that they tried to per- por- uh, forecast this, portray this guy that way. You know, he was a murderous butcher and he was an animal. And then they tried to humanize this guy as well, like he was some kind of human being that deserves respect. It was really reprehensible. Absolutely. And, and by the way, they, they covered, they, along with the New York Times, covered up uh, much of the Holocaust during that period, too. Just so you know, this is a, uh, this is a problem for our media. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say this is similar. That had the New York Slimes called Hitler a promising proponent of socialism after he killed himself, you know? Something along those lines. This is how sick they are. I just want to thank our brave heroes of the military for a job well done. And as animal lovers, let's not forget the patriotic German shepherd named Conan, who was involved in the mission as well. I know because we're, uh, we're both dog lovers. I thought they hadn't released the name of the dog. Yeah, I read something that said that his name was Conan. Uh, I don't know if it's true or I don't know if it's fake news or not, but that's what I, what I read. And the thought of al-Baghdadi being chased down by a dog is a really fitting way for him to go, don't you You're agree? Abs- oh, I do agree. I do agree. All right, my friend, thank you. Name's classified, right? I think the name's classified. We call him Super Dog. We just gave him a name. Love those doggies, baby. Especially those patriotic American dogs. Sure, he's a German Shepherd, but he's an American German Shepherd. Right, Mr. Producer? Nathan, Hilton Head, South Carolina. The great WTKS. Excuse me. WTKS. Yes, go right ahead, please. 
Hey, Mark. I, I just want to thank you for everything you do for us. It was an early Christmas present to hear about the uh, death of Yabba Dabba Dooba Dabba 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 Doo. Oh, yeah. And um, so, um, real quickly, the, um, the former caller uh, reminded me my first dog was Cindy, a former uh, Air Force police dog. We were deployed in Japan peacetime, Dakota Air Force Base. Right, and he just reminded me of my first dog. But uh, so I want to thank the caller for that. Um, I bet you loved I, that dog, didn't you? Oh God, I loved her so much. I, I, I'll tell you the long story when you come to dinner at my house. All but, right. Um, looking ahead, I think that Trump will be reelected. I want to know what your advice is for us. I'm working ahead. I don't want to sit on my laurels. I live through the the process. All right. Well, I think you need to donate to his campaign. To be perfectly honest. I think you need to contact them and see what you can do in your neighborhood, in your community. This is going to be hand-to-hand combat, politically speaking. This is no pushover campaign, and we could lose this. All these forces are arrayed against us, and they're not going to forget about Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota this time, if you know what I mean. No, I, I, I misspoke. Well, I have no doubt Trump's going to be reelected. Uh, he's, he's going to be re- reelected. I'm working on the next campaign. We need... Uh... No, 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 no. you got to work on this campaign. This one. Oh, I'm working on it. and Because no we, doubt... ease... we could lose this campaign. I, I, I think we got it in the bag, Mark. And... Look, I, no, we don't have it in the bag. I was just in Texas. You go to places like San Antonio. San Antonio, not the city itself, but the, the general area, used to be Republican. Now it's purple to blue. Years ago, when I lived in... Uh, Richardson, Texas, just outside of Dallas. It was Republican in that area. Now it's Democrat. We lose Texas. We lose everything. You need to understand what's going on in this country. Some people are from different states and things look better. Fine. But it's not so simple now. And the Democrats are not going to, they're not going to, you know, they, 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 they wrote off Trump and they figured they were in the bag. That's why the media were upset. Don't get me wrong. It was very important what, what the president pulled off in uh, 2016. But we're going to have to be bigger, better, faster in 2020. And we certainly can't be talking about it's this, it's that. It's like a military operation, but it's politics. And you always have to act like you're behind. You always have to act like you're undermanned or they have better uh, firepower, whatever it is. You always have to be smarter than them and more strategic than them. And if we get lazy, it won't happen. Thank you for your call. All right, let's continue. Phil, in, uh, let's see, Queens, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hey, Mark, thank you for all you've done. If the Republic survives, it will be because of you and a few others. So thank you. God well, bless. I don't know, Happy but thank you, sir. You no, too. really, we love you. Um, listen, my point in continuing on the media theme is, given how in lockstep the media is against Trump and against all Republicans, it seems like they get a talking memo every morning. Do you think that the Federal Communications Commission, some other commission, or some private lawsuit could be successful or at least tie them up for the next year or two with injunctions? It, it, won't, it won't work. The Federal Communications Commission, the, the um, equal time is gone, and uh, we want it to be gone. And these other rules the Democrats have tried to impose on people like us and me. So we don't want them. But you raise an interesting point that I've raised before, which is this, or, or let me swing into it. 
You know, the left and the media, one and the same, they like to say all the time that something is a campaign violation, a non-disclosure agreement, that's a campaign violation. Something of value, that's a campaign violation. Well, when these commercial entities called the media, and these are corporations, when you can demonstrate that 90% of the time they are helping the opponents of the president or they are attacking the president of the United States, even though they have a right to free press, of course, under the First Amendment, are they not turning into infomercials? I'm not pushing this argument, by the way. I know the, the low IQ types at Mediaite and Media Matters and their ilk won't get it, but you in the audience being smart, I'm just making a theoretical point. If everything of value or anything of value can be considered a campaign contribution, when you have the CEO of CNN caught on tape, thanks to our friends at Project Veritas, when you have the CEO saying impeachment, 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 and and it's obvious that he is in the tank for the Democrat Party and against a Republican president, CNN is one big infomercial. MSNBC is one big infomercial. So the question is, are they violating the campaign laws? Look, I'm not pushing the argument. I'm just making a rhetorical point. I think they are. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Speaking of the media, something interesting happened today. You know what, Mr. Producer? I didn't hear it on our network news on the radio here. U.S. Judge William Bertelsman, Bertelsman today reversed course and ruled that attorneys for Nick Sandman, remember Nick Sandman? The young man from Catholic school with the MAGA hat, confronted by the old left-wing kook, could start discovery for a portion of their lawsuit against the Washington Post over its coverage of the so-called Covington Catholic incident. How do you like that? And to cut to the chase here, there were 33 instances in which Sandman's attorneys... Uh, made the point that uh, he was defamed. And after uh, there was a clarifying filing uh, filed by their their great lawyers, like uh, L. Lynn Wood and Todd McMurdy, uh, sharpening their points, the judge said, well, there are at least three points here that do require further examination. And so he went ahead and reinstated and, and ordered discovery to begin. So the Washington Post is still on the line, at least now, for, possibly, for possible false and defamatory uh, statements against this teenager, which means CNN isn't far behind and the rest of the pretend phony media. So the Sandman case, the Nick Sandman case, is back. The court will adhere to its previous rulings, it wrote, as they pertain to these statements, except statements 10, 11, and 33. To the extent that these three statements state the plaintiff blocked Nathan Phillips and would not allow him to retreat, writes the judge. Suffice to say, the court has given this matter careful review and concludes that justice requires that discovery be had regarding these statements and their context. The court will then consider them anew on summary judgment. Sandman's attorney tweeted... As they prepare for a summary judgment hearing today, that, uh, of course, this is a, a very, very excellent uh, recent ruling by the court. So I thought you'd want to know that because you're not going to see it on TV. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it, Rich? I haven't seen anything. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
All right. ExpressVPN. And, you know, by, by the way, while all this impeachment stuff's gone all around, we never really, as a nation, get to discuss the policies that are being proposed by the Democrats, which I think is part of the strategy as they try and win their kook base. But the policies are just, I mean, they will destroy this country. They'll destroy manufacturing. They will destroy productivity. The work ethic. It'll destroy the, the, the core of this nation. You know, we're not all victims. All of us don't view ourselves as victims. We're not all part of this. We want to steal from somebody else. I mean, I'll play for you later, next hour, Joe Biden's 60 Minutes interview. Part of it, not all of it. I don't want to put you to sleep. But he says people making between two hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars, you're rich. Now when they mean people making, they mean families making. Or small businesses that file as individuals. That's nothing. You know, they like to talk about billionaires, but when it comes down to brass tacks, so to speak, they're talking about small businesses or families that earn $250,000 or more gross. So you can have people in their 50s. Let's say it's a couple in their 50s. Let's just take New York City. You're a couple. You're in your 50s. One of you has been a teacher for 30 years. One of you has been a firefighter for 30 years. Maybe between the two of you, with bonuses and all, you're pulling down 260000 a year. Now, I know out in Never Neverland, that sounds like a lot of money. In New York City, it's not a lot of money. The expenses are through the roof, the sales taxes, the local taxes. And they regulate you up the wazoo. Okay, but that's just an example. Or even around New York, the New York metropolitan area. Or North Jersey, same damn thing. It's, they're not talking about billionaires, folks. They're talking about a lot of you, or potentially a lot of you, down the road. And finally, you eke out a living, you make enough money, you send your kids off, maybe to college or maybe whatever it is, trade school, they leave the house. You're finally making enough, you put a little money away, maybe you want to buy a little something in Florida, who knows? And then they're going to whack you. And they say, oh, we stand for the little guy. They don't stand for the little guy. And so there's never enough time to talk about this stuff as we're defending our Constitution and defending our economic system and defending our borders, defending our military, defending our cops. You need to think about what these people are proposing. Devastating. And what about people who do make a lot of money? Let's say you're one of the greatest surgeons in the world and you make a million dollars, $1.5 million. They whack you. You're going to retire early. We're going to lose a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of brilliance, a lot of experience. People are just not going to work as hard. There's no point to it. I'm just pointing it out. I pay over 50%. We pay over 50% of our income in state and federal income taxes. I don't have a lot of deductions. I'm not Mitt Romney. I'm not Elizabeth Warren. I'm not Bernie Sanders. I don't have a lot of deductions. So how much more? 
Recently, over 100 million people had their personal information stolen in a major data breach. Social security numbers, contact details, credit scores, and more, all taken from Capital One customers. There's a good chance you were affected, by the way. Now, these kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe. It's not just Capital One, Equifax, Facebook, eBay, Uber, PlayStation, Yahoo, to name a few. They've all leaked passwords, credit cards, bank numbers belonging to billions of users. I never go online without ExpressVPN. If you care about your confidentiality, you care about your privacy and safety, you won't either. ExpressVPN is the best. ExpressVPN connects with just one click. It's lightning fast. Costs less than seven bucks a month to protect you. And use my special link, expressvpn.com slash mark. Use it right now and arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So please protect yourselves. The government can't protect you. Government won't protect you. That's express, it can't protect itself. That's expressvpn.com slash mark, expressvpn.com slash mark for an extra three months for free. Please take advantage of that. All right, folks, when we come back, Kamala Harris says that she doesn't get the nomination and she isn't elected. Well, it might be because of racism and sexism. I don't know, Mr. Producer, is she a racist and a sexist? Is that why she might lose? No, you, see, are the racists and the sexists. More when I return. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. My wife and I, and my mother-in-law and I, all of us, were uh, honored to be in San San Antonio at the Cornerstone Church uh, this weekend and uh, last night as uh, Pastor Hagee, who is really a fabulous man. He really is. His family is outstanding. We've gotten to know them. Was celebrating. Israel. Now I understand the the lib media collectively their head will explode. Uh, but there's there's a lot of support uh, for the state of Israel and the Jewish community in the evangelical community. And he uh, he reaches out to uh, syn- to synagogues and to rabbis all throughout the community. In fact, all throughout the country. And I'd say his best friend, or certainly one of them, is a an Orthodox rabbi he's known, who whose uh, temple is a few miles away from his church, uh, for 40 years, give or take. Something like that. I got to meet all these people. Absolutely wonderful. And so we were celebrating Israel. 
at a, at a church, an evangelical Christian church, that has 22,000 members, Mr. Benusi. 22,000 members. And he was the impetus who created an organization called Christians United for Israel, KUFI, which has over 7 million members. If I don't tell you this, nobody else will, because the media, they want you to think of evangelical Christians in an enormously negative way, that they're anti-Semitic, and it's not true at all. At all. And um, so I, I spoke there as well and um, have a, uh, a link to the entire event on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. So if you have a little bit of time tonight, well, actually a lot of time, you want to check it out, what Pastor Hagee had to say, what the wonderful rabbi had to say, others had to say, and my, my comments as well, I hope you'll, you'll take a look at it. And to see thousands of people there, waving the American flag and the Israeli flag, evangelical Christians, was really awe-inspiring. You know, the Jewish community is a very small community in this country. There's, what, three and a half million, maybe? Worldwide, it's a very small number. Dory Gold, who is a brilliant man who speaks perfect English, comes from the United States. He's Israeli. At one point, I believe he was the ambassador to the United States or to the UN from Israel. During one of my shows from Israel, those of you who who listened might might remember two and a half years ago, he said that when you look at all the, the slaughter of the Jews from before the Romans, but during the Roman period and beyond, and obviously Nazi Germany and communist Soviet Union, he said, if that, if these, if these genocides had not occurred, listen to this, Rich, this is really, and, and Richie, this is really quite fascinating. There would be as many Jews in this world as there are Chinese. Isn't that an amazing figure? An amazing figure? When you consider that the Romans killed almost a million Jews on their attack on the uh, Second Temple, which went on for approximately four years. Think about that. Thousands of years ago. And I spoke about uh, the Middle East, Israel, of course. Spoke about American history, our declaration. Spoke about God. I don't pretend to be an expert, but I know enough to know what I know. Spoke about towns in and around Israel, such as Bethlehem. You've heard of Bethlehem, haven't you, Mr. Producer? Remember who was born in Bethlehem? It's now 15% Christian, 85% Palestinian. They've pushed the Christians out. There's a town by the name of Hebron I've talked about. Hebron. There's a reason why it sounds like Hebrew. It's very, very important to Jewish history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and Rebekah are all buried there. 
than Hebron. The Palestinians claim Hebron. Do you know how many Jewish families live in Hebron now? hundred or so years ago, the Palestinians came in and slaughtered the, a lot of the population there, much of it. Eighty-five. Eighty-five Jewish families are left in Hebron. Isn't that shocking? This thing called the West Bank, we've talked about this, meaning the West Bank of Jordan. Jordan took Judea and Samaria, which it would then call the West Bank, meaning the West Bank of Jordan, in 1948. The Israelis took it back in the 67 war. Judea and Samaria were always part of the home of the ancient Jews. Not the Jordanians, not the Palestinians. You won't find the Palestinians in the Bible. No offense. This is history, whether people like it or not. You know, in other countries, I would be banned now from radio. Great Britain, they'd be locking me up for 60 days or so. In France, my home would be firebombed. This is why we try to defend this great country. And you can hear what I said to the evangelical Christians who were gathered there. And by the way, not all. There, was, there were parts of the Jewish community too, but the overwhelming majority were evangelical Christians. And I was treated with such kindness, such grace by God-fearing people. It was just a wonderful thing. As I said, I did a brief walk through American history. And, and I say this as a, as a Jew who's an American. Thank God for Christianity. Then I think Orthodox Jews in this country would agree with me too. The manner in which they founded this nation. And there were some Jews involved, but the overwhelming majority were Christian. And their embrace of Judeo-Christian values. Natural law. God-given rights. These are Judeo-Christian values, beliefs. Unalienable rights for every human being who's born doesn't come from government comes from God and God is referenced four times in the Declaration of Independence and when you look at the Constitution as I explained limiting power of the individual the framers understood that men and women sin and men and women with enormous amount of power have the potential to sin in awful ways. That's why we're not a democracy or a mob. We're a republic. All kinds of checks and balances on individuals who have power. Federalism, moving power out of centralized federal state. And so when I talked about these things. But the night was the night when Cornerstone Church, Pastor Hagee, beautiful wife Diane, his children, Sandy and the others, and thousands of evangelical Christians were celebrating the state of Israel. And Hagee Ministries has given over the course of a year, many years, 
over $103 million to various causes in the state of Israel, hospitals, Holocaust victims, and so forth and so on. I want you to know this because you will never see this on cable TV. You will never see this on network TV. You will never hear this on most most radio programs. That there are people who do get along. There's a lot of people who get along. That when they talk about systemic racism, they're lying, among other things. And one of the things Pastor Hagee spoke about at length was his fear, his concern about the spreading anti-Semitism in America and all over the world with the BDS movement, the anti-State of Israel movement, which he points out correctly is all the same thing. All the same thing. And he was telling the parishioners gathered and tells the millions who belong to Kufi, Christians United for Israel, that this spread of anti-Semitism is a grave threat. And it's ungodly. From a pulpit in San Antonio, Texas. So I cannot thank him enough. I cannot thank his family enough. My family cannot thank his family enough. I felt like I've known the Heggies for decades. And the wonderful, beautiful people who we met. I just want you to know there's a lot of good going on out there too, folks. A lot of good. And it receives not only no attention from the Democrat Party press, but whenever they focus attention on groups like this, it's always negative. Negative. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. By the way, I just want you to know that congregation is made up of African Americans and Hispanic Americans, as well as obviously um, uh, white folks. And uh, at that event, there were also Orthodox Jews and uh, individuals who'd come from Israel, different organizations, uh, who were provided grants for the work they were doing, building hospitals and things of that sort. So... uh, Wonderful event, wonderful church. All right, Kamala Harris on HBO's Axios. Axios is another left-wing hack outlet, like they need more. Cut 11, go. I have also started to um, perhaps be more candid, talking about what I describe and what I believe to be the elephant in the room about my campaign. What is that? Electability. What do you mean? Electability. You know, essentially, is America ready for a woman and a woman of color to be president of the United States. Yeah, we are. We are. And there have been many women of color that I would vote for, as well as men of color, uh, who uh, you folks trash. You know, there's a great documentary coming out in several months on Clarence Thomas. And one of the things he says, and I cannot say it as well as he, but I can paraphrase it, is that 
black people who don't toe the line of the left, that is conservatives, are treated differently than black people who do. And what he means by that is by the establishment, by the media, you know, by white people and so forth and so on, but the, by the left generally. And it's true. Now, Barack Obama was elected president twice. Of course, I voted against him because he's a leftist. It has nothing to do with his race. I would have voted for Herman Cain, that's for sure, among others. But this thing now, where it's America, you see, we're just not ready for a woman of color. We're not ready for a woman of color. You see, the Democrat Party is not ready for all women of color. They're not ready for all women of color. They're only ready for liberal women of color. If you're a liberal woman of color, maybe they'll back you. Maybe they won't, but maybe they will. Why should I vote for a liberal woman of color when I wouldn't vote for a liberal woman of no color, if you will? The Republican Party was ready for a female vice president. Democrats didn't support her. Well, she's not a person of color. Well, what if she had been? They still wouldn't have supported her. Anyway, go ahead. I was ready for a black man to be president of the United States. And this conversation happened for him. There is a lack of ability or a a difficulty in imagining that someone who we have never seen can do a job that has been done, you know, 45 times by someone who is not that person. No, that's simply not true. And you really ought to take some personal responsibility and accountability for your own campaign, your own outrageous comments, and your own chameleon-like nature in which you take a hard left-wing position and then you kind of moderate it depending and you move around and you take this position, that position. I mean, the hardest debate she had and the debate in which she was most exposed was by Tulsi Gabbard, who's a woman. I believe she's a woman of color. I don't know. I haven't checked lately. I didn't bring my... uh, my paint chips in order to determine who's of color and who's not of color. But you get my point. You get my point. This has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman and has nothing to do with her color. In fact, what annoys me about something like this is she has worked her way up to a United States senator. And now she's talking about a glass ceiling because of her genitalia and her pigmentation. That's outrageous. But maybe she can take it up with the squad. You know, that's a fancy name given to the four anti-Semites. Well, at least three. I don't know this Presley. Ayach, Talib, and Omar. All of whom have backed a very white old man. Bernie Sanders. Could it be that they're not ready for a woman of color to be president of the United States? Or could it just be they support an old-time red Marxist? Because that's basically where they're coming from. And so Talib, Omar, Ayach, back 
Bernie Sanders. Why? Because he's an America-hating, Israel-hating Marxist. That's why. That's why. So take your argument up, take your cause up with them. And they are three women of color, as a matter of fact. They're reds, but they're also of color. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. I have an idea. Let's do the opposite of what the leftists want to do. Rather than paying kids to go to college, free college, remember that? And uh, eliminating student loan debt. I have an idea. Why don't we pay kids not to go to college? Given what's happening at so many of these colleges, they're being brainwashed to hate their own country. How long can that go on for? How long can a country survive? when its very founding is under attack. And these universities have become, so many of them, not all of them, indoctrination mills. And your professors and administrators getting rich, indoctrinating your kids about systemic racism, about economic justice, about environmental injustice, about Green New Deals and Red New Deals, about socialism, about Marxism. So I think we ought to pay kids not to go to college. And by the way, I think we'd save a lot of money, and I think they'd get a hell of a lot smarter. Because they could either work, get a vocation, or maybe we have special schooling for post-secondary age children, young adults. And take this away from our colleges and universities, most of it. That is, take our children away from them. So maybe we should subsidize high school graduates, not to go to Ivy League schools, not to go to left-wing schools, not to go to these colleges and universities. You notice the Democrats and the left want to regulate everything but colleges and universities. Just pay attention to what they don't and do want to regulate. They don't want to regulate things that help them, like immigration, particularly illegal immigration. The more illegal, the better, as far as they're concerned. Okay, then you know what they're up to. They want to subsidize colleges, free college tuition. Now, you know damn well if kids were being taught about America's history and founding and our principles and so forth, a true liberal arts curriculum, and I don't mean liberal, liberal arts curriculum, uh, the Democrats wouldn't want to subsidize. But because there's so much indoctrination going on, well, that's why they want to subsidize it. What other group is not regulated by Washington. The trial lawyers. Now you might say, what business is it of the government in Washington to regulate trial lawyers? Well, what business is it of them to regulate anything? But they're never going to regulate the trial lawyers. Do you know why? They're among the biggest donors to the Democrat Party, the trial lawyers. What other group don't they regulate? Or don't the Democrats want to regulate? Teachers. Now, there's a lot of good teachers out there, so please don't call me and tell me, um, you know, there's some good teachers. I know there's some. But the fact is the NEA and the AFT are in the back pocket of the Democrat Party. 
It's an army of three million people and tens of millions of dollars of in-kind contributions. That's just the way it is. I know we researched this at Landmark Legal Foundation and did a number of filings on this. So you'll never see Democrats wanting to regulate teaching. Now those of us who believe in federalism wouldn't want to do it anyway, but that's not my point. They don't believe in federalism, except when it comes to sanctuary cities. So these are the areas they don't want to regulate, they don't want to tax, They want to regulate and tax Republicans or citizens who don't identify with their causes on the left. That's who they want to punish. They never want to cut government because, let's face it, the Democrat Party owns the federal government with a few exceptions. That's why they never complain about the entrenched bureaucracy. They never, they never complain about any of that because they've built it. You'll never have a whistleblower, a CIA operative, a spy in the White House who would have ever written a document up against Obama and run it up to the hill to talk to uh, Devin Nunes' staff. That never would have happened. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. So when they talk about the entrenched bureaucracy, these are Democrats, these are liberals, or worse. Again, there are good bureaucrats too, I've seen them, but I'm not talking about them, am I? I'm talking about the vast majority, or certainly a plurality. And the Democrat Party will never cut anything. They're not going to cut programs, they're not going to cut departments, they're not going to eliminate anything, they're just going to keep growing stuff. The one area which they attack, of course, is the military, because it's very patriotic, and because a majority of people in the military vote Republican. So they'll cut that. But don't ever cut food stamps. Don't ever cut entitlements. Don't ever cut anything of the sort. No, no, they can't do any domestic cutting, because redistributing wealth, creating constituent groups, getting people to rely on these checks... And so forth. This is this is crucial to the Democrat Party. It's 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 a long way of saying that the Democrat Party and the government really are, in many respects, one and the same. And this is one of the reasons, of course, why they want to impeach Trump, because Trump doesn't go along with it, and he's now running the government that the Democrats believe that they own. That belongs to them, of course. All right, let's take a few calls, shall I? I think I will. Oh, oh, sorry. How could I forget this? This is important. You know, cyber thieves are stealing American homes. This is true. Guess where your home's legal title and mortgage documents are kept? They're kept online. They're kept online. Anybody can access them. Are you aware of this? Your signature and everything thieves need to take over ownership of your home is available, easily available, online. And then thieves forge your name off the title, then refile the deed so it appears that you sold the home. Then they'll go to unscrupulous lenders, or lenders who are not in the know, and borrow money using your home's equity. And you don't even know this is happening. Then they disappear, and you're stuck with the additional payments. Banks, 
insurance, identity theft programs, they don't protect you. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock will. Home Title Lock puts a virtual firewall around your home's title and mortgage. And they monitor the black market to see if your home is for sale. Your home's equity is your retirement, your emergency fund, probably the biggest asset you have. Let me help you protect it with 60 risk-free days, 60 of Home Title Lock. So please go to HomeTitleLock.com, enter your address to see if you're already a victim, and if you're not, to get the 60 risk-free days of protection. Defend yourself at HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. Let us continue. Marty, Garden City, New York, the great WABC. Go! Mark, thank you for all you do for this wonderful great nation of ours and the citizens and as well as our great president donald trump i was thinking about the uh the raid this this weekend and you know people haven't mentioned when jimmy carter launched desert one operation eagle claw mm-hmm. it was eight helicopters mm-hmm. a transport plane and when they arrived at the staging area only five helicopters were operational and when they put people in to get them out of there, there was a collision. They ended up leaving all the equipment there, all the weapons, all the maps, even the dead. And, you know, Trump did this a great potential peril. Can you imagine if this operation did not work out? Now, this is a very, happened? very profound point that you're making. That it's successful, and it's always assumed these things will be successful. And it's the wrong assumption. As great as our military and our planners are, you're right. It's still a battle, and they had a battle. And if something had gone wrong, you are right. They would have trashed this president, and apparently it went perfectly, and they're still trashing the president. It's disgusting. Like Carter. What's that? I also want to point out that there was a lot of wringing of hands about that the Russians were informed, amongst others, about, and not Pelosi. Well, we had to fly over Iraqi airspace, Turkish airspace, and Syrian airspace. And the Russians basically own that airspace. So, yeah, we had to say, listen, we're going to have some birds up. You better not shoot. Well, the president even pointed that out. We told the Russians we're coming, uh, whether you like it or not. And they said, okay. Uh, but you're right. What does that have to do with informing Pelosi? And yet they make this parallel. He informed the Russians and not Pelosi. But we informed the Russians to protect our soldiers so we could accomplish this, this, uh, uh, this, this attack successfully. And if we informed Pelosi, she might have leaked, in which case uh, it would have undermined our efforts. That's a well, fact. Mark, if you recall, when Reagan went, in, went, and went after Gaddafi, for placing the bomb in the East German disco that our GIs frequented, mm-hmm. the French would not permit us That's right. to fly over their airspace. We have to get a thumbs up, just a cursory, listen, we're going to be live. And we don't tell them anything beyond that. They don't much mind that we told the Russians. They're upset that, that poor Nancy wasn't told. I hate to tell them she's the Speaker of the House. She represents San Francisco. That's it. She has no right to be involved in specific military operations or to be informed about them. Screw it. Well, if she doesn't like it, let her run for president. 
Thank you, Marty. I'll be right back. Lovin. I want to talk to you about an organization that's doing something big about the radical progressives dominating our nation's colleges. In only seven years, Charlie Kirk and his team at Turning Point USN, you've seen Charlie on Fox, he's a brilliant young man, have created a conservative grassroots force, active on nearly 1,500 campuses with over 250,000 students. A quarter of a million students and growing. And they do it from the bottom up, not the top down, including training conferences for women, African American, and Hispanic leaders. Their annual summit is the largest gathering of young conservatives in the country, with over 5,000 student leaders in attendance. Turning Point USA is training our own army of campus fighters, and they need your support to keep up this work. You don't have to wonder if they're good. They are great at what they do. They just need support. It's like the battle of Bunker Hill. The Battle of Bunker, Mark, what's that have to do with anything? The militia was fantastic. The most powerful army on the face of the earth, the Redcoats, charged up the hill once, were pushed back. Charged up the hill twice, were pushed back. Charged up the hill the third time. And the militia and the regular army, the Americans, ran out of gunpowder. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about gunpowder. And I'm talking about support. This group is up against millions of students. They have a quarter of a million who are fighting the good fight on our college campuses. Free speech. Our principles. Our constitution. And they don't need gunpowder. They need support. Support. So go to markforturningpoint.com Mark for turningpoint.com. And I love these folks because they play offense. They play to win. They go where few others will go. That's markforturningpoint.com. Help them take the fight to the campus radicals. And you'll be able to see the ways in which you can help. It's a great site, too. There are others who have already committed to double your efforts. Double them. So your support will be doubled. So please go to markforturningpoint.com right now. That's markforturningpoint.com. All right, let's take a few calls. Callers have been waiting and waiting. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Brent, Los Angeles, California, 870, the answer, go. Hello, Mark. As a fellow Jewish-American patriot, I too love and bless Pastor Hagee and Kufi. And I just wish that more rabbis and Jews would defend Israel as fiercely as they do. Isn't that the and, truth? And Yes, and when you said, uh, when uh, Rabbi Dory Gold said there should be as many Jews as Doctor, there are Doctor, Doctor Dory Gold. Oh, okay, Dr. Dory Gold, that there should be as many Jews as Chinese, that's very true. But unfortunately, we've had an unfortunate... Uh, ability to keep walking away from Judaism. And I think there's been a horrifying rise in Jewish anti-Semitism in Congress, 
in our universities, in media, in Hollywood, and we're committing suicide. And I think we need to you know, be shouting this and say Marx and Trotsky and Soros and Bernie Sanders, these are not Jews. Their mothers may have been, but they do not stand for God or Torah. No, they, they're not. You're exactly right. These are obviously secularists of one ism or another. And of course, the minute you say this, and I've said it, you'll come under brutal assault by the very people who support these people. Because who am I to judge? I can judge as much as I wish. It, it, well, it's not a judgment. It's an observation. Mm-hmm. And we might have to come after assault because they're coming after us. Mm-hmm. And so we have to recognize just because somebody has a Jewish mother doesn't mean they are not as, as fatal to our existence. Look what's mm-hmm. happening in Israel. You know, I, I just, well, Netanyahu isn't you know, winning a landslide. I'm uh, startled with that. It, it, it is remarkable, isn't it? All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. Raj! Vienna, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Thank you, Mark. We thank God for you, for Pastor Hagee. I've had the privilege of listening to him on radio when the Kufi had their conference in Washington. Some years ago I was there, and what a blessing it was. Yes. It is the blessing of the Lord our God upon us. We I must agree. never forget giving thanks for that. It's mm-hmm. not our strength. It is in his strength. And thank you, Mark, for bringing to light the urgency of the 2020 elections. That's My pleasure. Mark. Raj, thank you. Raj is a good man. Just remember, all this impeachment BS is about the 2020 election. And if the Republicans start running for the hills and they don't vote in force on Thursday against whatever, whatever Nancy Pelosi is proposing... And if the Republicans in the Senate don't figure out a way to get around the Three Stooges, Collins, Murkowski, and Romney. Notice we're always trying to figure out how to get around Collins and Murkowski and now Romney. I don't care if they win or lose, to be perfectly frank with you. I know the Democrats, it matters to them, uh, excuse me, the Rhinos, it matters. It doesn't matter to me. doesn't matter to me in the least. We spend way too much time trying to figure out how to get around these Three Stooges. Quickly, Mark, Berlin, Maryland, XM Satellite, go. Hey, Mark, love the show. Hey, uh, quick point, you were talking about Charlie Kirk. I want to point out my Oh, son. boy, this connection is awful. Try again, go ahead. All right, hey, my son, he's 19, he goes to college in Pennsylvania. He's a sophomore. As a freshman, he couldn't find anyone to talk to him about conservatism, about Trump, anything. Uh, he's gone back this year, and he said it's about 50-50. He said kids are being more open. They're talking about, you know, conservative values. Wonderful, wonderful. Keep it up, baby. I got to go. I'm sorry. The music is playing. Thank you. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, all you folks who protect us. Thank you. I hope you watched uh, last night, 10 p.m. Eastern, Life, Liberty, and Levin. And I will see you tomorrow. Be well and God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.